Joining us on our program today is George J. Efstathiu, a renowned architect who is a consulting partner with Skidmore, Owings, and Merrill in Chicago. In his career, George has led numerous architectural projects all around the world, including in the United States, the United Kingdom, Asia, and in the Middle East. George, thank you for joining us today. Very welcome. To get us started, share with us a few words about your lifelong career and passion and what led you to pursue a career in architecture. I think I can answer that by talking about how I got interested in architecture, actually how I started when I was much younger. My mother was really the force behind me, and being third generation in the States, I was really the first generation who really kind of looked, looked at going to college. And my mother's brother was an architect in southern Illinois, fairly successful and was in that uh, region. And so as he was like one of the more successful people in our family, my mother wanted me to pattern myself after him. And I think with my talents that probably came from my father, my father could draw pretty well with his hand and make things. You know, you learn very early when you're an architect that you really want to understand how things go together and how they operate. So, and that's pretty much a characteristic of that you hear uh, other architects talk about as well. So that really kind of pushed me into the direction of architecture. And I was a pretty good student when I was in elementary school and when I went to high school. I went to a high school that was more of a magnet school that you had to test into, and they had a program that was really geared to architecture. So I took four years of architecture drawing while I was in high school, and when I came out, uh, it was logical for me to go to architecture school, and because we had a pretty good one here in Chicago, I went to University of Illinois. So that that really kicked me off, and, and you know, everybody has dreams of designing, you know, houses, because those are simple, and and or smaller buildings. I never, I never, in my greatest imagination, never thought that I'd be where I am today. But I, I went to SOM right after graduating from college, and with the intention to stay for four or five years uh, to get my license and then move on. But when I came to Skidmore's Merrill, I found that I was put in position to have a good, pretty decent responsibility for my experience level. And had the, had the experience that took me on my first airplane flight, took me uh, around the country for for a while. And then after it's my career started to unfold and my experience level increased, I started to really travel around the world doing projects. And I, I during that career, my career at SOM, it's been a wide range of functions. I started out as a as a junior architect doing drawings on the boards. And we were doing it by hand back in those days. And, and then transferred over to a design role and then into a, a more of a management and oversight role, which I enjoy greatly today. It's a, primarily due to my personality, I think, and my ability to work with others that has led to a lot of my success. And indeed, you have been with SOM since 1974. And initially, for the first few years, your work focused on domestic projects. So tell us about some of your earliest works. Oh, I think you know, my my first project at SLM was a 40-story high-rise building in Boston, which which was interesting because I had I had family in the Boston area. It gave me an opportunity to see them too. But it was called 60 State Street in Boston, and I started out uh, again 
finishing the technical drawings uh, with a, a larger team and eventually became uh, one of the last people on the project. So this is where I got my first airplane ride. So the, I was flying to Boston with one of the, one other senior members and, and he was overseeing the work, but I was doing most of the, the groundwork for getting the building constructed. But that was really the, my, my first project uh, and pr a pretty good one too. And that led to a couple more in the Boston area and then to places in Los Angeles, Springfield, Ohio, Chicago, of course, it was the market here in the states was was pretty good at that time for us, uh, and we've been international for you know over 50 years. But at that time, the focus was really definitely in the in the states. Your first foray into international work came with a major project in London, the Broadgate project in the 1980s. This project took you to London for two years. Share with us your experiences from your time in London and from this major project? Yeah, it was, it was an interesting point in my career because I, this is right at the, on the cusp of when I changed from a, an architect on the project to a project manager. And my role was to oversee the work of others, the, the whole team, make sure that we met the requirements of the client, make sure that our contracts were all in place, and, uh, and one of the most important aspects of watching and to make sure that we get paid from our clients and make, make sure that he's happy. So that's really the key to getting paid. But I was asked to go there for two years um, in the London office, which was a fantastic experience for me. I, I thought that uh, I, I still call London my second home because I've really never lived out of Chicago. And that became my place outside of Chicago that I kind of hold dear besides, uh, you know, Greece and, and other places around the world. But that, that two-year period is quite interesting because we were really separated from what's called the mothership offices in the United States, and the independence uh, really grew quite a bit during that period of time, and experience level became a very steep curve quickly. I became registered and as a registered architect in the in the UK, and I still hold that registration today. And I think I'm one of the very few in the firm that still has that regist registration. But the experience was great. The, uh, London had steeped with history, and uh, the culture for me was very important. Uh, in living, quality of living was much higher than here, and it was, uh, but also more expensive at the same time. And since that time, you have worked on a number of projects all around the world, including very recently on what is now the world's tallest building. Tell us about some of these experiences and projects. The projects in the remote locations that I've worked on really started in my first international experience was in the UK, in London. And even before I moved there for two years, I was traveling back and forth for four years. So I knew that area quite well. Then we, our firm started branching out into other areas like Southeast Asia. We're in Malaysia. We had uh, developed a six million square foot mixed use project in Kuala Lumpur. And I traveled back and forth there for over four years and also experiencing Singapore and Korea on the way. Seoul, Korea was another area where we did a very large convention center um, complex and um, an airport hangar for KAL Air Airlines. And, and then uh, a little bit of work in Russia where we were looking at my first, my first uh, uh, crack at doing a, a very tall building. Let's talk a little bit more about the Burj Khalifa in Dubai, which is apparently also a topic that you speak about quite frequently. What were some of the challenges in completing this project and also some of the challenges that were faced even after the completion of this building? 
I think I, I missed a, a geographic area when I answered your last question. And I've been active in the Middle East for over nine years now. And Burj Khalifa was really the vehicle that got me there on a regular basis. We got an invitation from a client in Dubai that we had no previous experience with. Uh, we went on a Saturday and met with them in uh, New York, had lunch with them. They, we showed them a little bit of our work. We understood what they were looking for, and uh, I thought that that meeting really um, went a long way to cementing our relationship with uh, Emar Properties, who is the developer of uh, Burj Khalifa. We were asked to enter into a design competition for that for that project, which was quite interesting. Uh, and what's even more interesting for the, at that time, it was a, a project that was 550 meters tall, which is which would have been the world's tallest building or close to it. And then we finished that in two weeks. And there was a requirement of the client that we finish it in two weeks because he felt that spending more time is was just wasteful time and it is an art, a good architect can come up with a good idea in a short period of time. And it's usually their first idea that usually sticks better than, than others. So we went through this competition process. We were I, I went over, I think, during the first Kuwaiti conflict and flew, flew over that area. It was a little uh, nerve-wracking for me. But they, they thanked me for coming over when, at, at a time when most people were not traveling to the Middle East. So we, we negotiated uh, our contract, and, uh, and then we were off. Again, the building uh, started out by being 550 meters tall. It's now over 800 meters tall. And during that happened during the design process when we're look, where we were taking a look at, at the, the height of the building and testing it with engineering concepts and architecture concepts to come up with, with its final height. But Burj was a very complex project for us, but at Skid Marines and we're used to dealing with large, complex projects. And the, the, I, I think we always say that the more complex, the better. But we know how to, to organize and orchestrate all the consultants and all the uh, other architects and engineers that have to get involved in doing a tower like this. Uh, SOM uh, did all of the design here in Chicago uh, and, and the engineering and all the interior design for the building. And we went all the way through the construction documents, and, uh, which get them done. I always say that the EMAR made uh, two good decisions when they were thinking about this building. One was to select SOM, and the other one was to let SOM do what we do best, which is not only just design, but do the technical aspects of the engineering and architecture of the building. We, uh, we have an integrated practice here, and that coordination and integration of all the building systems is, is absolutely one of the key things in doing a building like this. There's no, there's no room for a, uh, any error when you have all the building systems and elevators going up and down uh, such a tall structure. But the other uh, challenging part about this was the fact that there were so many people on the team. I think we had 100 people here in our office just dedicated to that project for over a couple of years. And uh, we also had about 75 other outside design consultants like lighting designers, landscape designers, acoustical people, wind tunnel, fire fire and life safety code type uh, issues uh, because that was right that ha the building was going up right at the same time that the 9/11 happened. So there's a, that that kind of coordination and or orchestration is really my my forte. You're, it's almost like being a musical conductor and everybody's got to be playing the same tune as as you go along. Do you think that we will see a building taller than the Burj Khalifa anytime soon and how high do you think humanity can go with these structures that it will construct? The height issue is, if you talk to our chief structural engineer, Bill Baker, 
who is the structural designer of the Burj Khalifa, he'll tell you that if you give him a base big enough, he can build a, a building to the moon. And he said that before. So the, the, the only height, uh, things that restrict height, I think, uh, in, in these tall buildings is not so much the structure, but how you get people up and down. And right now, the uh, technologies for elevatoring in buildings is not more, not really more advanced than, than it was when Otis invented the first elevator back, uh, back at their, you know, early last century. So it's all limited by the cable stretch that's used to, to hoist these, uh, these cabins up and down uh, the building. So when that technology changes, I think taller buildings will be much, much easier. I mean, there's t discussions about uh, maglev-type elevators, things like that, that would help that out, but uh, nothing has really come out yet. There's not really a market demand for it just yet. But I think that there will be a tall building built at least as high as, as Burj Khalifa in the next uh, 15 or 20 years. If you take a look at the history of tall buildings uh, in the past, the SOM has been probably on the forefront of building tall buildings in the world. We've done buildings such as uh, Sears Tower, John Hancock here in town, Trump Tower here in Chicago as well, and Freedom Center in, the, in New York, which is a replacement for the World Trade Center. So we have a, a long history, and I think if you look at the top, top uh, 10 or 10 buildings, I think at least half of those are SOM buildings. So we're, we're the kind of leading expert in that area. So I think that there are uh, projects that are planned um, on the boards, but uh, you know the biggest uh, factors that drive these buildings is not so much uh, you know a client. There has to be a market for it. In Burj Khalifa, the Emar property has really hit the market at the right time, and any other uh, developers who have visions of doing a building like this really have to have the financials uh, uh, in order in order to get them done. In fact, you know the engineering is is really quite easy when you think about it, but the financials and, and the pro formas for these kinds of buildings are quite complex because the numbers are so huge. Uh, so that has to be in place first before anything uh, happens. And without a market that, uh, that wants a building like that, that where people are willing to pay for a building like that, it's not going to happen in a while. You look at the history of tall buildings again, I think the, there are several buildings that have held records for quite a long time. And we always say you go back to the pyramids where the, the tallest buildings in the world for four, over 400 years. But uh, more recently, I think Sears Tower held the record for like 20 years before anybody did anything more than that. So I think that Burj Khalifa will probably hold this record for a, a, a while, even though that there are some buildings being planned right now. What are some of the projects which you and your firm are working on at the present time? Well, our, our firm is uh, widely uh, diversified, not only in building type, but uh, in geographic location. We have, because of the strength of the market in China, a lot of our work is in China at this point. And uh, we have uh, a wide range of, uh, of office buildings. Uh, there's many people there so that the cities are being regenerated and being set up for growth. So we've done a lot of master planning of downtown urban areas in China and also more uh, natural and agricultural areas as well. In the Middle East, we, we're still, uh, strong, still a strong market for us as well. And uh, we have, uh, between our New York office and Chicago, are, are building uh, two or three other uh, buildings as we, uh, as we speak. Burj uh, Khalifa was the first one that we did in Dubai. The second one that we completed was Rolex Tower, which is a, a much shorter building, but this, uh, already has won uh, design awards as well. And the third one, the Infinity Tower, which is the world's only uh, twisting tower, is still under construction in Dubai. With the Dubai market uh, kind of uh, 
uh, being depressed a little bit, uh, it was very natural for us to move into Saudi Arabia, where we have two or three projects, including a couple of Hyatt hotels and uh, some large master planning work. And uh, there's a, a big desire to develop uh, new towns in Saudi Arabia and in Oman that we're working on right now as well. What do you highlight in looking back at your career as your biggest or most rewarding career achievement? Uh, there's no question that Burj Khalifa was the biggest and the most rewarding project that I've ever worked on. And, you know, when I look at a successful project, it's not so much what the project was itself, but it's the people around it. Because building projects, designing and building projects take a long time. I mean, the, the Burj Khalifa took probably seven or eight years for us to design and build it. And during that time, you become very good friends and have developed very strong relationships with people. And to me, one of the most rewarding aspects of doing uh, work internationally is understanding another culture and developing friends in that culture. Certainly, Burj Khalifa has been the most publicized building, I think, in my career at SOM worldwide. And it, it still continues to uh, garner interest from all kinds of, uh, of people. And it's also become the image of Dubai itself in the same way that you know, John Hancock and Sears become, have become the image of Chicago, and the Eiffel Tower is an icon in, in Paris. So the, the, to me, the, this has been, Burj Khalifa has been the most amazing experience, and also still very proud of what we accomplished. I tell the story of when the building was inaugurated. After the inauguration, I was walking back alone, back to the hotel, and I was starting to realize the enormity of what we had just completed. And I, I, I got very emotional walking back because during the, during the design and construction period, you really are you know, focusing on the work. You don't, you, know, you don't really understand exactly the impact that you're having on the, on the world. But when you see the world's reaction to what you had done, it's been uh, quite, quite amazing. Looking forward, what do you foresee for the future of urban architecture and urban development in general? I think the world knows that there is a trend of people uh, moving back into urban areas. And, you know, people, uh, the, the suburban developments that happen in the States, uh, there's people that travel back and forth to downtown Chicago, and, and this becomes more of a sustainability issue than anything. There's certainly, there's, uh, it is more sustainable for people to, to move closer together and live in taller buildings, not single-family housing. It's easier to live in a city with all of its resources uh, than it is to live in the suburbs where you're kind of bound to a car. So I think the, the trend in uh, urban architecture is going to be more mixed-use buildings where people can live, work, and play at, in the same general location without wasting time or energy to, to do these things. Before wrapping up our interview today, share with us some of your thoughts about how your Greek heritage and background has shaped and impacted your life and career. You know, that's an interesting question. It's difficult to say that the heritage has shaped my career. What I can say, though, is I think my upbringing in the Greek family, with all of its traditions that put family first and in high regard, and relationships between other people has really helped me be able to do work around the world and have uh, strong relationships uh, with people wherever I go. Wonderful. Well, George, thank you very much for taking the time to speak with us today and to share everything about your background and your experiences and your expertise in architecture. We greatly appreciate it. Thank you for listening and all the best in the future.